Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. Welcome to the business community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Holiday season is looming and we thought it would be a good idea to have our topical discussion this week about how to manage staff holidays because love them or hate them, they are a necessary evil and of course with school holidays looming, everybody kind of wants to be off at the same time and that can have a really significant impact on the way that you run your business. So we thought that was a good starting point. Now, there are some rules about how much holiday people are entitled to, etc. And I know that you've been looking at the ACAS website, Tracy. Yes, that's right. Um, and also um, the holiday entitlement calculator on the gov.uk website as well. So, so I guess we have to start with how much time are people entitled to? And then how do you manage the process of them booking the time, You know, when they can book the time? What if you need to cancel time? You know, there are some rules and regulations that you need to follow. And I guess the most important thing is that once you know how much time people are entitled to, you need to have a policy so that everybody can see how it works. Because in my experience, when everything's going swimmingly, that's fine. But it's when something changes and the needs of the business alter and you, or three people want the same time off and they're working in the same department or whatever that you need to start looking at what your policy says and what you can and can't realistically do. But in terms of calculating entitlement, what do ACAS say? Okay, so um, ACAS uh, underline the uh, the government's um, policy on this. Um, the legislation says that all employees have a statutory right to 5.6 weeks paid leave per year, which if you're working a five-day week, tends to work out at 28 days and if you're a part-time worker your entitlement is calculated on a pro rata basis depending on your hours however the, an employer can choose to give their employees more time than this and they can allow them to build up extra hours that can be taken off as time in lieu now the problem comes in reality when you have shift workers so it can be quite difficult to work calculate if it's not a standard eight hour day what are your shift workers entitled to and there is a great um, calculator on the gov.uk website so if you go to gov.uk forward slash calculate hyphen your hyphen holiday hyphen entitlement so that's calculate your holiday entitlement with hyphens in between each word and you can put in there the number of days worked or the number of hours worked per week the shift patterns and it will do the calculation for you also explaining that if you get a decimal point in there so 19.6 you have to round up not down okay even if it's a 19.3 you're still rounding up not down Okay, And it's worth remembering that employees have no statutory right for extra annual leave, paid or unpaid, um, on, on, unless there are other um, circumstances, for example, parental leave. Um, but employers can have special policies of their own. So they, that can be in addition to the statutory requirements. Okay, So basically, the statutory right to 5.6 paid weeks per year, paid weeks per leave per year get that out right um, and that can include the bank holidays so the bank holidays don't have to be on top of that as well 
Okay. But it all really hinges on the policies. So you've got some advice and guidance on the, the policies for holidays, haven't you, Heather? Yeah, I mean, fa- fairly famously recently, Ryanair had to cancel loads of flights because too many pilots were booking leave off at the same time. Now, you could argue that uh, trends in, in um, air travel would be fairly predictable year on year, but... Uh, Clearly not. <laughs> Clearly not the case. So if you have a detailed policy, and it's not just a, this is how you book your holiday and this is how many days you're entitled to. Um, holidays are a right to all, available to all workers um, and you will have your own rules. So they need to understand the rules to assess whether or not they can um, their holiday can be approved or refused. So it may be Um, that the needs of the business dictate that everybody needs to be in on a particular date or for a particular period. Uh, Of course, we hear about businesses. I mean, it still exists, but you used to have the factory shutdowns, you know, two weeks when all industry just came to a grinding halt and anybody affected by that, um, you know, that's when you took your holidays. Um, But nowadays, it may be that an order comes in that was uh, not anticipated and it may be that then you need to have rules about cancellation of people's holidays. And of course, if your if your staff have booked a holiday, it's a bit tricky if you follow the the rules that say that you could actually um, what does it say here that you could actually potentially cancel a two week holiday within um, a month of the holiday taking place. So the general notice period for taking leave is at least twice as long as the amount of leave a worker wants to take. So if you want to take two weeks off, you should give a month's notice. Um, But then it kind of works the other way around, so you need that to be set out. Uh, Yes. I mean, although legally you can do it, you also have to think about, obviously, the implications for your employees were doing that. So I think cancelling leave, um, it wouldn't be a decision made likely, but but it is actually allowed. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. But in terms of what you can and can't do, employers can tell tell their staff when to take leave. For example, bank holidays or Christmas period, you know, sometimes you'll say, we're going to close between these, these two dates and you have to save three days or four days, whatever it might be. And employers can restrict when leave can be taken, for example, at certain busy periods. So having the policy and having it set out, it's like any policy. It really comes into its own when there's a bit of um, discrepancy or argument about what can and can't be done. Now, um, also managing the holidays. If you're a small business, you can probably manage it with a physical diary or an online calendar, which you can share with your staff. However, larger companies were probably going to use some some form of electronic or online booking system. And there there has been an increasing number of apps coming out which are recording holidays and absence electronically. And what what I've noticed is that these apps are sort of specialist apps for holidays and absence. Then there is a movement towards not having one all singing, all dancing HR system from what I can see. And so there are these add-on apps that you can add to your existing HR system, which manages holidays and, and other absences specifically. That That's its main job. Um, and one app that I looked at is called E-Days. 
and the, the website is e-days.co.uk there are many more available and I'm not picking this out for any other reason apart from it, it came top of the list of Google when I was looking and it was a really nice website as well and they're very specific about managing absences allowing employees and managers to actually get involved in that process but also reporting on absences as well so it can manage the sickness and I just thought it was quite interesting because I've been looking at HR software recently and, and it was this trend towards using specialist plugins for different areas. So rotor management might be different to that. An HR system might just hold the personnel data and there might be a specialist app for the holiday management. Do they, do they then feed into payroll? Is there, is there yeah, you can you do that as well. So, that, again, the, it used to be fairly standard that your HR system did everything and it fed into the payroll. But, again, I've I'm, I'm been looking and I'm just watching the trend because I'm quite interested in, in this area of software development is, is that there is a special one that you can plug in for payroll. So maybe this move towards using apps or, or plugins for the systems and because you have these api links that you can now you, um, most software is, is open to other software linking into it with apis there's it, it actually um it seems to be this trend towards having specialist applications just for those particular areas but i'd be interested to know, know more i'm going to keep my eye out mm -hmm. for that one yeah interesting interesting we will of course put the long drawn out links and the easy links on our on our website so um, check check those uh, links particularly the one the calculator which I think sounds really interesting that's on the business.community I understand that Timpsons uh, deserve um, a mention this week because they've been granted their fair tax mark and uh, we'll be talking about Timpsons a little bit later on in the show as we've decided also to feature business leader John Timpson as our guru leader of the week so but the it, it prompted me to take a look at the website fairtaxmark.net and it's a um it's a website that was basically set up to encourage and recognize organizations that pay the right amount of corporation tax at the right time and in the right place. And it's the only scheme of its kind in the UK and bridges the gap between corporate responsibility and the wider tax justice movement. It was launched in February 2014 and um, there are a number of businesses on there that you would recognize, including Timpsons and um, Timpsons gained their fair tax mark at the opening of Fair Tax Fortnight, which, if you didn't know, Heather, was the 9th to the 24th of June. I so, didn't know. No, so we are in Fair Tax Fortnight. And Fair Tax Fortnight is a celebration of businesses and organisations that take a responsible approach to tax planning. Now, the certification scheme sounds like it might be a good idea for businesses, uh, particularly if you're interested in um, explaining and uh, shouting about your corporate social responsibility and actually taking steps to be so, uh, socially responsible, get my words out correctly. So, Getting the fair tax mark will mean that your business has a clean bill of health on the corporation tax side of your business. And according to the fair tax mark website, it will enable you to stand out in your sector and enable you to get an edge when bidding for contracts, instill pride in your employees, boost customer confidence, reassure investors that you're managing risk well, win public and media attention for your commitment and become 
part of a growing UK-wide network of businesses, get ahead on the curve of new tax regulations and become a crucial part of changing our tax landscape. So in essence, a business with a fair tax mark is certified as paying the right amount of tax in the right place at the right time and applies the gold standard of tax transparency. If you're interested in exploring this or even just seeing which businesses actually have this fair tax mark, including Timpson's, then you can go to the website, which is fairtaxmark.net. But the process to, to get your certificate seems fairly straightforward. The first step is you just contact them via the contact form on the website. Then they'll speak to you and agree whether you'd like an assessment only or the full package. There'll be a letter of engagement. And then once they have your accounts, they'll assess you against the most appropriate fair tax criteria and standard and send you a scorecard report. And this explains how you're doing on your tax responsibility. If you've gained enough points to win the mark, then you'll get um, you'll get enough help to get through the threshold. They'll provide clear guidance and a template of information that you need. And once you've agreed any changes that are recommended, you'll be awarded the fair tax mark. So have a look, see if it's for you, um, even if you're um, just interested in knowing which businesses have got it. And, and perhaps that will influence um, the types of businesses that you do business with. Mm. Heather, what have you got for Interesting us? Interesting one. I've got a couple of events. Uh, one being run by the Project Management Institute, which is taking place at Marks and Spencer's Bank in Chester. This is on the 26th of June. It's an evening event and it's about agile project management but they're doing it in what I think looks like quite an interesting format. They're doing it as a kind of question time uh, so they've got a number of experts they're looking at three topics so agile versus traditional methodologies scaled agile and agility with business operation They've got a panel of experts and you can pose your questions uh, and or, of course, listen to questions that have been submitted by others about the use of agile project management. So I thought that that, that just sounded like a really interesting way of presenting some useful data. Uh, then I have got on the 27th of June uh, the European Search Conference. This is a conference aimed at, you know, that whole SEO <laughs> Search engine optimization, that thing that everybody knows loads about and yet nobody knows anything about. Um, this is a paid event. It's £150 plus VAT. But I think it, it's part of a festival around um, SEO and digital technologies. And I just thought that that looked like a good one. So there will be a link for that on our website. And finally, on Thursday the 28th, again, over in Staffordshire, a Let's Do Business Expo. Again, this caught my eye. It's being organised by Burton Chamber of Commerce. Might be a little bit of a trek over to that neck of the woods, but it's a huge networking event. It takes place at Utoxeter Racecourse, and um, it has an, it, it's an expo with networking and it's an opportunity for you to engage with businesses in that area and businesses in that area to engage with you. So um, that looks like a goodie, I think. So three events there for you this week. Nobody likes making mistakes, but it's an inevitable part of life. And this week's review uh, is the book Black Box Thinking, written by a guy called Matthew Side. Um, to summarise the book, it, it says that it reveals that all paths to success lead through failure 
and what you can do to change your perspective on it, admit your mistakes and build your own black box to consistently learn and improve from the feedback failure gives you. And we, you know, we hear the phrase a lot, we learn from our mistakes. And that's basically the essence of this book. Now, I have a copy of this book. I have not read it in its entirety, and there's a reason for that. I'm not an author, but when I open the pages of a book, just the way that the book is laid out needs to appeal to me, needs to draw me in in some way. I feel like there has to be quite a bit of white space on a page yes. to draw me in with, yeah. a, with a book like that. If it's a, a book of fiction, I, I, I don't mind a, a page full of text, but a, um, a book, a, a non-fiction book, sort of a bit more space yeah. around it, I think. And, it, and this book is, it is text from, it's got a very short margin at the top and a very short margin at the bottom. And then <laughs> it's, it's really just loads of words <laughs> in quite a small font. So I wasn't drawn in. So I was, as ever, once again, grateful for four minute book <laughs> because, because. This it, was a gift, this book, wasn't yeah, it? it was, yeah. it's, it's, it's a dream come true for me. I just wish that I'd <laughs> thought of it. Um, but, but. But the book, in essence, talks about learning from your own mistakes and also learning from the mistakes of others. And I think that's key because uh, he says you can't live long enough to make all the mistakes yourself. So I think that that is, is a huge lesson. And, and was it Edison who in, and invented the light bulb? The light bulb, yeah. yeah. And wasn't he uh, quoted as saying, I failed 50 times and now... I think it was a few more than 50. Or whatever, yeah, yeah. yeah. And somebody said, why don't you give up? And he said, well, now I just know of 50 ways or whatever it yeah. is to not, not do it, yeah. make a light bulb. And and that is very true. So, um, so the book itself says um, that, you know, we hate admitting mistakes. Um, we, we don't like to make them and we don't like to admit them. Uh, but if we could actually think of it in a more positive way, it would be really helpful. He talks about how many times Unilever um, had to develop spray nozzles before they came up with the best one. Uh, he talks about um, an industry that costs 40,000 people their lives each year because they can't admit their mistakes. So he does he does take this to sort of, you know, slightly political um, ends. But... I th just think it's a really interesting way of thinking, and I think it has got. I think it's got legs. I personally wouldn't want to read the book. I think I'd much rather perhaps watch videos or TED talks or whatever it is that Matthew Side has done. And I know that's something you've had a look at, Tracy. Yeah, well, I, I knew you'd be looking at four-minute books. Uh, <laughs> I, I allow you that luxury. <laughs> However, I found another website that does book summaries, which is very good. I have used it before. It's uh, Samuel Thomas Davis's website. Uh, the website is samuelthomasdavis.com. And um, he describes the book in three sentences. So um, one, success can only happen when we confront our mistakes two more people die from mistakes made by doctors and hospitals than from traffic accidents and three aviation on the other hand has created an astonishingly good safety record because mistakes are learned from rather than concealed i think he's a little harsh on the doctors and hospitals mm, there mm. but uh, i think in the in the broader context it, it might might read slightly differently but yeah i do like my videos and my talks and one of the best ones i've found was um, an excerpt from London Business Forum. It's on YouTube. 
it's only about two minutes long, but you get an idea of, of the guy and you also get an essence of where he's coming from with the book. So, um, What's he like? What sort of guy? Well, he? he's a former international table tennis champion for a start. Okay. Yeah, so hence quite a lot of sports references and the work that he does. And uh, yeah, he was engaging. Um, it looked like the London Business Forum would have been a great event and even better that it's been condensed into two minutes on YouTube. <laughs> but a couple of the things I picked up were where that talent isn't irrelevant, but it isn't enough. So he talks about mm -hmm. practice and practice and practice. And it's about what we do with our talents, not just the fact that you've got an innate talent. You have to actually do something with them. And then he talked about growth mindset as opposed to fixed mindset. Now, this has, has been part of my world for about two years now. So when the new deputy head teacher started at my daughter's school, he introduced to the year sixes this concept of growth mindset and fixed mindset. My daughter was full of it and it, and it really inspired her in her life last year at primary school challenging them to to develop a growth mindset and to keep on trying learning from their errors and and not trying to be perfect um he talks in this video about not being thought of as perfect is threatening to fixed mindset people and the question you you can ask is hand on heart do we have a healthy relationship with failure and and it's worth looking at yourself and, and actually seeing if you do, how do you treat failure? Are you able to redefine it as Edison did? And I think actually we, we might find it more difficult than we would at, at first like to admit. The other place I like to look to to find out whether a book's going to be for me is the reviews on Amazon and Goodreads. And it does get good reviews, Heather. So it might be worth ploughing through it. So it gets 4.3 out of five on Goodreads from 332 reviews and 4.7 out of five on Amazon from 458 reviews. However, some of the negative reviews um, were, were along the lines of that you could have said this in a lot fewer words or um, it, you just kept going over the same stuff and a lot of people complained about the detail. So he does appear to throw in a lot of case studies, a lot of highly detailed case studies and presumably you know, he's, he's quite an analytical thinker. So that's the way that he works. And clearly the people who've enjoyed the book appreciate that level of detail from him. I think we're all different, aren't we? I mean, we, we know that. And I think that um, what's always a challenge when you're reviewing these types of books, you know, as you are, you and I are similar in that we've got so many different books and we've read so many different Or read part of so many different of, books. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, yes, exactly. So... So sometimes these theories are not rocket science to us, whereas they may be completely life-changing to somebody else because there's that stuff that you've sort of absorbed through osmosis through your career. So not to do down the book, uh, but um, it's a really interesting way of thinking and I might be inclined to do more on the video type of thing rather than um, actually wade through the book. And I've got no doubt that if he appeared on a, a list of speakers at an event, I would be very interested mm -hmm. in hearing him speak. Mm -hmm. he, he seemed like an excellent speaker. So the, the book is called Black Box Thinking, The Surprising Truth About Success. It's by Matthew Side. And uh, we'll put a link for that on our website, which is thebusiness.community. So in this part of the show, we like to feature a business guru or business leader. And this week, as I mentioned earlier in the show, we're going to be talking about John 
Timpson. And John Timpson was born in 1943. He was educated at Nottingham University. And the story sort of goes on through a, quite a, a collection of experience, which is it's, it's one of those real solid pleasant reads when you read his history is that how he's built up this business essentially he graduated went to work for C&J Clark at Street joined the family business and then the company was bought there was a bit of family wrangling and then he became a managing director of Swears and Wells Limited and then went back and was appointed managing director of Timpson his original family business he led a management bio to the company which had this is uh, some of the family wranglings that had gone on and um, he sold the shoe shops then to a rival retailer and then concentrated on building up the shoe repair and key cutting business which is now known for they um, went through quite a period of acquisition buying automagic and minute uk and they acquired over 40 sainsbury concessions so you'll see them in supermarkets um, they, they've either got a little port coming outside or they've got a little space mm -hmm. inside um, and they've bought shops branded um, click and max spielman and in 2017, they acquired 198 Johnson and Jeeves dry cleaning shops. So the story now is that Timpsons has over 2,000 branches nationwide, turnover of £300 million and profits of over £20 million. It is still a private business wholly owned by John Timpson and his family. Now, um, John Timpson is... Um, local sort of guy to hear and but also he, he feels like a um a man that everybody knows their their business has got an incredibly friendly feel to it the staff are really well looked after it's got a very and, and obviously we look at the fair tax mark it's got a, a very strong sense of corporate social responsibility about it john himself has written lots of books he's had columns in uh, various magazines and also he's um, an agony aunt of types uh, in the business section of the telegraph um you've met him have you had that oh you've been in the same I've room been in the him. same room <laughs> as him um again going back to the days when i was involved with the best companies to work for and they were named on the top 100 list and i do remember at, at a big black tie event in london um members of his staff standing on their chairs and jumping and screaming and whooping uh, with joy because they had won. And certainly there's a great sense of respect for Sir John Simpson and his wife, Alex, who sadly passed away in 2016, uh, not only because of the way that they run their business, but the way that they pass autonomy on to many of their branch managers, because we all know Timpsons, um, they're, they're small, you know, there are probably only two or three people working there. But the managers of those shops treat them as though they're their own businesses. They really feel embedded in, in the business itself. And I know that a lot of work d is done around internal communications and celebrating successes, long service awards, etc. So it's, it's much more than a business, it seems to me. It's much more of a family. It's a family-run business, and it, everybody is a family. Um, he's very much hands-on. Uh, and he talks about, and in fact, one of his books is called Upside Down Management. He very much talks about bugging the bucking the traditional um, hierarchical pyramid where the managing director or chairman sits at the top 
and all the worker bees are at the bottom of the pyramid, he flips that on its head and believes very much that his role and that of his son and the board is to support all of those worker bees to enable them to service the customers uh, to the best of their ability. And, and that is, is, um, is a strategy and a way of thinking that I particularly like because I think that you remove any one of those components and a business falls apart. Uh, and also, you know, that's a hell of a lot of responsibility for one individual or, or for a board because they've got a lot of staff and they, and they expand and grow. Uh, so I like him. I yeah. like him. The, you talk about upside down management and uh, he actually wrote a whole book on that subject. So in 2010, the book called Upside Down Management um, was published by John Wiley and Sons. He started his publishing um, career with Dear James in 2000. And it, it was a book that he passed on the lessons he'd learned um, over 30 years as a chief exec and in management. Um, management maverick is described as and is um, he describes his business philosophy in his next book which is called how to ride a giraffe uh, he's also written ask john so that includes common sense um advice and straight talking from frontline of management high street heroes um is where he, he talks about a collection of people he's picked out um from from the high street retailing scene and, and actually profiled them and he says himself what's interesting there's not so much who he put in the book but who he left out <laughs> <laughs> and i brought that from my mother-in-law for christmas in uh, 2015 it, it's a really interesting read and his latest book keys to success was recognized so that's from last year was recognized as a cmi management book of the year so he's quite the writer mm -hmm. and maybe maybe we'll have to review one of his books in in um, upcoming uh, episodes yeah. of the show yeah. um you mentioned also his wife then as well but, um if, if we're allowed to touch on his personal life then uh, it does appear that him and his wife have, have led a remarkable um family life mm -hmm. they have three children of their own they adopted two children and they've fostered another 90 children mm, over those, that time. And the, the other thing I noticed is that they've managed to keep their children out of the limelight, apart from one of their sons as an MP in, in Crewe and Nantwich, and the other son, James, is, is actually uh, working with his dad with, at Timpsons. But they're not really high-profile guys themselves. And the rest of the family, all, all the foster children, all of the, ado the adopted children and their daughter, they seem to be completely out of the limelight. So they, they've managed that really, really well. But his wife, I, I wasn't aware of his wife so much until we started researching this. But uh, she, she was quite an inspirational woman by, by the looks of it. Um, reading um, the obituary of her in the Telegraph, um, it tells how um, she um, persuaded her husband, whether this is true or not, this in an obituary by the Telegraph. John Timpson writes for the Telegraph, so one assumes that it, it's fairly accurate. Um, and it was Alex who persuaded her husband to attempt the management buyout of buying the family business back and supported him as he led the negotiations to a successful conclusion. Um, it was through her concern for those less fortunate than themselves that, that um, they built the business on the foundations that they've got and they uh, adopted a policy of hiring ex-offenders 
and their reoffending rate was taken down from a national average of 62% within a year of release to less than 5% over 12 years, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, other schemes include uh, making uh, an employee's dreams come true. Mm-hmm. one each month and recently uh, um, this is around the time of the obituary when it was written a staff member was was um, taken to Barbados to be reunited with the father she'd not seen for 13 years and she encouraged her husband to introduce a system of rewards and perks for their staff uh, including a day off on their birthdays and free holidays for their families so quite a woman but th- they've also got this other bit that I wasn't aware of and I think think you perhaps were, were more aware of Heather was that they they um, own the White Eagle Pub in Anglesey and the Oyster Catcher, which is a chef's academy for unemployed young people. So uh, Anglesey is quite the, the place for gastronomic experiences at the moment and not least because of, of these two establishments. I've been to the Oyster Catcher and the way that it is run is that you'll have um, front of house manager and they'll be managing a team of young people who come from disadvantaged backgrounds who may you know have some challenging behaviour issues uh, and and they come on and they they interact with you and they... They learn a skill, um, and you see that the the, the um, camaraderie is fantastic. Although you know they are learning, they are there to learn, uh, and it's it's a great setting. It's really wonderful. And one other thing that Timpsons do um, is, and you will have no doubt seen signs outside some of their shops. If you ha- if you are unemployed and you are going for a job interview, they will press, they will um, clean and press your your suit or clothes for you to go to interview. That's excellent. For no yeah. charge. And, you know, it's just little things like that that help to just, I don't know, put back something. So they're not flash. Yes, they took somebody to Barbados. You have to really dig deep to find that stuff. It's not plastered no. all over the place. No, it isn't. Um, in 2004, he... John Timpson was awarded the CBE for services to retail and in 2017, Mm. I'm not sure how to say that year now, 2017, he was knighted for his services to business and fostering. Uh, Alex also received honours as well for her her work with with children. So, and two very inspirational people, um, not jumping around shouting about themselves an awful lot but actually I've, I've got a really solid corporate responsibility corporate social responsibility at the very core of mm. what they do which is is to be applauded mm. so we always finish with a quote from our leader or guru um i'll start with mine if i may yep. so uh, let's hope we haven't got the same one because we haven't shared this before <laughs> the show so mine is sharp operators usually lose out kindness is a central part of creating a great company that is a great one. It's not the one that I've got. Um, I've got people will always be at the heart of a successful business. If you want a formula for a great business, you have to fill it with great people and no amount of robots can replace that. What a great way to end the show. Thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.